The remarkable intelligence, personality, and social skills of dolphins have fascinated humans for many years. When the dolphin genome was first sequenced in 2011, scientists learned that we share even more similarities with these aquatic mammals than was previously thought. Today's Please Explain is all about dolphins, their biology, and their relationship to humans. With journalist Susan Casey, who embarked on a two-year global quest to understand their nature, and has written a book called "Voices in the Ocean: A Journey into the Wild and Haunting World of Dolphins," published by Anchor Books. I'm very pleased it has brought Susan Casey to our show for today's Please Explain. Hi. Hi. And as always during our Please Explain segments, we invite our listeners to join in the conversation. Our number here is two one two four three three nine six nine two. You can write to us on our show page at wmyc.org/lopate, or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Uh, Susan, uh, dolphins are classified as cetaceans. What are some of the other cetaceans? Well, uh, uh, dolphins are uh, odontocetes, and of course there are mystocetes, uh, toothed whales and baleen whales. So dolphins are uh, they're small toothed whales, uh, and there are about 37 species in the ocean and about four or five species in the rivers. Uh, unfortunately, we just lost a river dolphin species for good in China, but uh, yeah. and it's kind of evolving. So those species uh, are adaptations uh, for dolphins to live in different kinds of environments around the world. How is yeah. is this any? Is, are they totally different species or similar to the variety of human racial groups? Oh, it's a complete rainbow coalition of dolphin species. There's everything from the small three foot uh, Hector's dolphin to the bubblegum pink boto in Am- in the Amazon and all the way up to orcas, which are the largest of of the oceanic dolphins. And orcas are not whales; they're dolphins. Well, the interesting thing about the the word whale is it's just kind of a designation of of size. So, yeah, killer whales, false killer whales, pilot whales, melon-headed whales, those are all dolphin species. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, it's a little bit confusing. (laughs) There's a little note in the front of my book that explains it. The ratio of brain mass to body mass is said to be a rough estimate of the intelligence of an animal. How large are dolphin brains in relation to their bodies? Well, for in the case of bottlenose dolphins, which is probably a uh, sort of a, a good example to use because most people are familiar with them, and, uh, is about thirty percent bigger than ours. Uh, and, and so, obviously, yeah, there's a reason why any warm-blooded or any creature would haul around uh, an organ as metabolically ex- expensive as a big brain. So, the bigger the brain, the more likely that they're doing something ex- extraordinary and something necessary for them to, in order to have it. What is it about the lives of dolphins that's required their brains to become so advanced? Well, you know, it's so fast. It was probably the most fascinating of all the research that I did was the cetacean neuroscience because it's a brain that's so much more ancient than our own. It's about 35 million years old. Uh, in the in the evolution of the dolphin, it's you know the dolphins have been here for 95 million years, but they've shape shifted a lot. Our own brain got to be the size it was between 800,000 and 200,000 years ago. So theirs is a lot older and obviously evolved in a a different medium. But the prevailing thought is that anytime there's a big brain, you've got a social animal that's dealing with uh, juggling a lot of relationships and also dealing with things like competition, um, trying to keep uh, a lot of information straight that, you know, it's, it's actually hard to manage the web of relationships that we have. Like humans, Dolphin brains contain von Economo neurons. 
What are these neurons responsible for? Well, they, it appears that they are something that happens in large brains, and it helps with processing. Like it's a, it's a, it was described to me as a, a kind of a superstar neuron. It, it's very powerful. It even looks different. It, it, uh, it it's bigger, and it, you know, a way to to shunt large packets of information around. And it's been suggested also that it has something to do with empathy and sort of getting along, and, and recently scientists discovered that when, uh, in humans, when those uh, neurons are damaged, that that's when people become sort of antisocial and cannot somehow manage the social contract anymore. Is it possible that dolphins may be even more neurologically advanced than humans? Well, it, there's, yes, I do think so. I mean, it's they're always different, but of course, they're, um, as John Lilly said, we're, we're babies in the universe. They're, they've been here a lot longer than we have and uh, have obviously been using their big brains a lot longer than we have and have developed a lot of structures that are, are really fascinating. Uh, I mean, they have an extra lobe in their limbic system, which is what really relates to things like, you know, emotional and um, the seat of feelings and empathy. And one scientist suggested to me that it, it could mean that their emotional life is even more complex than ours. If they're so smart, why aren't they capturing humans and putting us in cages? Uh, Just a bad joke. (laughs) Is it smart to do that? (laughs) You visited Uh, with a neuroscientist, Lori Marino, at her lab at Emory University. What aspect of dolphin neurology does she research? She she does. uh, She's looked back in time to find out why evolutionarily, why is there, uh, why did things change? Because when dolphins they started off. Uh, their lives on this planet as land animals, and then they went into the water and changed completely. It would be as if we had suddenly learned how to fly. They changed themselves, and she wanted to know why the brain, which was in the beginning not such a big part of the animal, uh, expanded while the body size reduced. And of course, you know, it's a big evolutionary mystery, but uh, and a lot of times people wonder, does that have to do with extra processing that you need for echolocation and things like that? But it couldn't be the sole answer because then, of course, bats would have these huge brains. They echolocate. So she has really taken the dolphin brain apart using modern technologies like MRI and computer tomography. And she also uh, was the scientist that, one of two scientists who did the mirror self-recognition test with dolphins and discovered that they are self-aware. They can make that cognitive leap to, to look in the mirror and say, hey, you know, that's me which is unusual for animals, and they were the first non-primate species to do that. They, uh, ha- uh, is their neocortex similar to humans? Um, that's probably one of the most fascinating things about their brains. It's completely, the architecture is completely different. So most neocortexes uh, have six distinct layers, and dolphins only have five. And the really fascinating part about that is that the, level, the layer that they're missing is layer, layer four, which is in primates, that's where the information comes in and is, is sort of integrated into the brain. So we don't know where the information is coming in or how they're, how they're processing it. And, and it's, it's a different looking neocortex. Ours is sort of thick. And theirs is, if you could spread it out, theirs, ours is thicker, but theirs covers a lot more area and has a lot more convolutions in it. Do dolphins, like humans, have a range of intellectual abilities? Are some smarter than others? Yeah, I mean, they really are individuals. I'm sure there are dolphins that are smarter uh, than 
other dolphins. But the great work about, the, you know, intelligence is, of course, a sort of slippery concept to define, but this um, scientist named Lou Herman did all these very specific uh, uh, experiments with dolphins to find out, okay, you've got this great big brain, what are you able to do with it? And taught his dolphins uh, some languages based on hand signs and was able to show that dolphins even understand syntax. They can tell how the word order of a sentence will change it, the meaning of it, and they could understand very quickly when things were, uh, when instructions, even complicated instructions were given to them, and they could understand abstract concepts like presence and absence, or are you sure or unsure of the answer to a question. So they definitely, he, he sort of con- went away concluding they do definitely have the hallmarks of an intelligence that is like ours. My guest on today's Please Explain Look at Dolphins is Susan Casey, author of Voices in the Ocean, published by Anchor Books. We invite your calls here at 212-433-9692. I'm sure um, most of us are really curious about dolphins. I'm sure you are. You can write to us on our show page at wmyc.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. And we'll be back with more right after this. We're back with Susan Casey, author of Voices in the Ocean, A Journey into the Wild and Haunting World of Dolphins, which is published by Anchor Books. We're talking about dolphins on today's Please Explain and invite your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at wmyc.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. And uh, Peg has written in to ask, how are dolphin populations being affected by global warming the ocean temperature rise and acidification. Well, that's that's a great question. I mean, obviously, uh, global warming, even uh, in different regions, has an impact on fish populations and on where the fish are located. Uh, so, I think, like any, like also, the same way we are challenged to try to navigate within the sort of constant flux. So are, so are the dolphins. Um, uh, yeah, I, the, uh, among many other challenges that they are enduring in the ocean right now, um, including the sort of dispersal of marine toxins and um, ex- sort of extensive noise that's going on below the surface. There's a lot for them to contend with down there. And also they're hunted for food. You found a uh, a dolphin and whale sushi bar in Taiji, uh, but aren't there health risks associated with consuming dolphin meat beyond the, the the moral and ethical ones because they have very high levels of mercury? Oh, oh, massively. I mean, because a lot of the really uh, the most pervasive chemicals that are in the ocean they bind to fat, so that that's why you find a lot of mercury content, say, in in a fish like a tuna. It's the same with dolphins, but even more so. Can they suffer uh, from mercury poisoning? Uh, yes, and, and so this is really insidious because when they're sort of carrying these body burdens of toxins, they it's not something that will just kill them outright, but it will really depress their immune system. It makes them 
you know, weaker over time. This is a really uh, big problem in dolphin populations throughout the seas right now. There's there's a lot of uh, animals washing up with extreme emaciation, you know, sometimes even without teeth. Things like DDT, dioxins, PCBs, flame retardants, insecticides, like all of these chemicals uh, are still in the ocean, even if we've banned them on land, and, and they particularly bind to fat, and they're particularly, you know, bioaccumulating in the bodies of animals at the top of the food chain, like dolphins. Let's take some calls. Mary from Westchester, you're on the air. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Many years ago, and I'm guessing it was 40 or 50 years ago, I became really interested in dolphins through the work of John Lilly. And I remember uh, very vaguely that he stopped working with dolphins because of moral considerations. He felt that it was just not morally acceptable to be, in effect, imprisoning and experimenting on animals whose brains relative to body weight are probably bigger than humans. And I wondered uh, what your thoughts about that are and whether I'm remembering correctly about John Lilly. Yeah, I wrote a, uh, a lot about John Lilly in the book and, in fact, really could have written a whole book on him because I, I agree with you. He's so fascinating and uh, complicated. And uh, Didn't he yes, think he, that dolphins could be used in the Cold War? Yeah, that was his big thing. He was a neuroscientist, and he figured out that if you poke a certain, if you jab a needle in a certain part of their brain, they'll respond happily or unhappily, and his his work was very controversial because he killed a lot of dolphins, that, but at the same time, he was also sort of the guy who pried open the trap door of our imaginations as to uh, how dolphins and whales are so different than than what they looked like to us at the time, which was, hey, these are just big fish, and uh, anybody who sees a dolphin brain immediately knows this is not your average fish. Um, so Lily, yeah, he like a lot of scientists that worked closely with dolphins, was extremely affected personally by the experience. Um, and now uh, most of the really cutting-edge research that's being done is being done in, in the field, in their natural environment, and no longer in tanks, because in a tank you really can't understand anything about the creature. And they live a lot longer in the wild than they do in captivity. But... Um you said they were thought of as big fish. Obviously, they're not fish. They're mammals. Right. Uh, and they need to breathe air. Can a dolphin drown? Oh, yes. Um, so they, you know, unlike us, they are not involuntary breathers. They, If they're knocked out underwater, they will drown. And that's how uh, John Lilly ended up killing quite a few dolphins, because he tried to anesthetize them. And a dolphin that is unconscious is obviously not voluntarily breathing, but nobody knew that. So... Uh, that was something that they found out to the detriment of about eight dolphins right off the bat. But, yeah, so one of the things that dolphins will do if one dolphin is knocked unconscious is, is nudge them to the surface. So people often ask, you know, when you hear all these stories about dolphins trying to save people who are in trouble in the ocean by pushing them towards shore, or, you know, Elian Gonzalez is an example of this. He, he the the boy who ended up on the raft uh, between Cuba and Florida and was rescued, said the dolphins kept pushing him back onto the piece of lifeboat that he had. Uh, it's really, that's what they would do for each other, to try to help each other. And, and sometimes it doesn't seem as though they really draw a distinction between our two species. They, they will help us as well. They travel in pods, in groups yeah, generally? Yeah, the pods are, are very close-knit. Are, are they uh, monogamous? Not at all. <laughs> kind of the opposite of that, actually. 
So they're the kind of bonobos of the ocean? Yeah, and they use, they use uh, all kinds of physical contact, if everything from sex to just synchronous swimming and pectoral fin rubbing as a kind of a social bonding mechanism. And you always, when you see a pod of dolphins, see them sort of paired up in trios. There's obvious uh, affiliations and friendships and love affairs, and, and, but I think those things are, are fluid as well. And from Paramus, New Jersey, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. Thank you, Leonard. Um, I had a question for the author about um, these exhibits where dolphins are confined in a pool um, and used for entertainment for swimming with the dolphin exhibits. Um, if you could talk about that, mm. and um, I presume all of the uh, many negative effects of that, but if you could elaborate, thank you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the more we know about dolphins, the more unconscionable it seems to to sort of put them in this environment where you're removing absolutely everything that the, the dol- makes a dolphin a dolphin. It, you, in, in a swimming pool, they can't use their sonar. They don't have the kind of complex social lives that they have in the ocean. And they're evolved to swim long distances and do these cooperative hunts. So you're really looking at something akin to an animatronic toy. And aren't we also changing their food habits? Because uh, when when they're in the wild, they're eating live fish, uh, or and uh, when and we throw them dead fish when we have them in captivity. Yeah, and often it's dead fish packed with with um, antidepressants and antibacterials, and because for a dolphin to be in that kind of environment is in, intensely stressful. So they they suffer from a lot of things, like even very uh, familiar things like depression and sometimes dolphins will gnaw away at their teeth just gnawing at the concrete or eating the vinyl in the tank and i mean i always think of it as 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 being if you were locked in a hotel room or a closet for your whole life it, it probably is similarly stressful for the dolphins igor from brooklyn you're on the air Oh, hi, guys. Uh, now I feel kind of uncomfortable uh, <laughs> to ask the question. Uh, me and my kids, we've been going to Discovery Cove for 10 years every year uh, because my older daughter wants to be a trainer. and But last year we skipped it. And uh, my younger one, she was with one uh, dolphin two years ago. And this year when we showed up, he jumped right away into her, started kissing her, started swimming around her, basically wasn't responding to any trainer's command. He just wanted to be with my younger one. Mm -hmm. So my question is, if uh, dolphins can remember, is their memory so long, or he just got an affection, you know, for the kid? Because it was the same uh, dolphin that was two years ago, Capricorn, we remembered, and he was just... For two hours in the water, he wasn't listening to trainers, to anybody. He just wanted to be with her, wanted to play with her, and finally they just gave up and let it <laughs> make him do whatever he wanted. Whatever it is that your daughter has, um, you should bottle it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've heard anecdotally, uh, I've never witnessed this myself, but it makes perfect sense to me that dolphins do have an affinity for children. And uh, I, and I also believe that uh, again I I can't prove this and don't know for sure if it's true but I my my gut feeling and from having researched this book and is that the dolphin probably did remember your daughter um, and was able to uh, somehow recognize her they ha- they do have very good memories they have signature whistles that are like names 
uh, and they can recognize those whistles even after decades of dolphins that they know. So they they there's probably things about her that the dolphin could have visually seen and remembered, but they're primarily acoustic animals. So I, you know, not to sound hopefully too woo-woo here, but she, the dolphin probably recognized your do- your daughter's energetic signature of some kind. Matthew from Westchester, you're on the air. Yes, thank you. I actually have two questions. Uh, one is, uh, do dolphins sleep? And the other question is, actually, as a physician, I have to deal often with people's kidney function. Uh, dolphins, I believe, evolved from terrestrial mammals who drank fresh water. And as uh, mammals ourselves, we need to drink fresh water to eliminate waste products. How do dolphins, especially dolphins who are in only salt water, uh, deal with their uh, waste products? How do they get fresh water? Thank you. Um, they actually, it's such an interesting question. They get it, they extract fresh water from the fish that they eat. So they, um, for example, in a place where they're held in captivity in the ocean, let's say Taiji, Japan, um, the place where they filmed the movie The Cove, they hunt dolphins and for, they also uh, sell them to marine parks around the world. And so they'll hold them in this cove in the ocean. And the dolphins, they can hold them there for several days while they do this marine park selection where they, they go for the youngest females, and uh, the dolphins don't eat fish while they're in that environment. They're too scared, and there aren't any fish anyway, uh, so they often will become dehydrated very quickly and die. Uh, so it's really critical for them to be getting getting the fish. And what about what the sleep? The first, the the first part was, do they sleep? Yes. Oh, so the sleep is fascinating as well. They have two hemispheres in their brain just like we do, but they can operate the two hemispheres more, a lot more independently than we can. So... They have what is called uh, unihemispheric sleep, and they, they turn off one half of their brains, essentially. And so they're always partly awake because, again, this is a necessity for, for a voluntary breather. They can't go to sleep because they'll stop breathing. Do some species of dolphin adapt to life better in captivity than others? I mean, I, I think you see stress in every species that's in captivity, but definitely bottlenose dolphins have shown more of an ability to survive uh, for longer and have been easier to breed in captivity. And, you know, when you think about their habits, they're, they're more often found in slightly shallower water. So if you get uh, deep water dolphins like, uh, say, false killer whales or um, the, the offshore dolphins, rough-toothed dolphins, those animals have a much harder time because, you know, they're not used to even shallow water. Do they all get along if one species of dolphin meets another one in the water? Do they fight? Yeah, they do fight, and but not so much in the wild uh, as they do when they're put into captivity. There's a, you know, there's a hierarchy of um, dolphin relationships. Um, particularly, you can see this in orcas. There, there's alphas. There are the alphas tend to be the oldest females. And so you don't really put sort of alpha dolphins from various pods together in a tank and expect things to go very well. Whereas in the ocean, they kind of steer clear of one another. This, this is really seen uh, in detail with, with orca populations. Some populations avoid one another entirely. Um, and Susan, we have to leave other. it there. I'm sorry. So sorry. We've run out of time. Susan Casey's book is Voices in the Ocean, A Journey into the Wild and Haunting World of Dolphins. It's published by Anchor Books. And uh, thank you so much for being on today's Please Explain. My pleasure.